All right, yeah. here we go. Let's get rolling because okay. it's nine o'clock. All right. <clears throat> yep, let's go. Let's make the bacon. Oops. <laughs> Put the pan flute away, dude. <laughs> Silence. I'm playing host for Dan once again. This is Nick, and uh, with me, I got the rest of the gang here. We've got uh, that, uh, that uh, what's his name, Scott guy? Hey, the big 3-0. <laughs> I was like, wait, you just turned 30? And then I was like, oh shit, it's episode 30. <laughs> uh, we got the youngin, Rob Devin here. Oh, oh. <laughs> yeah, what's up? And then uh, Rob's uh, bringing up the rear. What's crapping in, fellas? It's dirty 30 time. Please don't right, bring it up the rear, Rob. 30. Don't do that. <laughs> don't fill in the gaps. Yeah, don't do that. 30 episodes, man. That means we're closer to almost our first full year than, uh, you know, the beginning yeah. of it. That's pretty wild. Yeah, dude. Totally. We're getting old, man. I think, isn't there some yeah. rule of podcasting that says if you make it past like 20 some episodes, it's probably going to stick for a while? Yeah, I think so. We're over that hump, dude, for sure. How long's a while? I don't know. I mean, it could be 262 episodes. It could be 30. We're going to say 31. <laughs> what is our, um, our target goal? What did, what did V2 get to that we have to exceed? Uh, V2 ended at 262 episodes. I know this because Man, I literally right. just finished listening to version 2. I, I listened to the last episode yesterday. Yeah, buddy. Binge right. watch that shit. 263, baby. There we go. 263. Alright, so we got 233 to go. <laughs> Easy. Cakewalk. That's some good math yes. right there. That's a lot of Mondays. That is a lot of Mondays. <laughs> That's a lot of figuring out what the hell we're going to talk about. I yes. know. That's a lot of flying, though. Think about it. Think of how much flying we're going to be able to do from now till then. And crashing and building and playing with new toys. going to be great. Scott's going to be a car pro by that time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, buddy. Yeah, right? <laughs> All right, man. Well, uh... We got lots to talk about this week, man. A ton happened at Rotor Live, which is the big trade show that happened uh, in Germany this week. Uh, a lot of other helicopter news is coming on, and uh, we got a lot to talk about. Uh, but uh, let's, let's do some weeks before we get going. Who, uh, who did some cool heli stuff? I did a little. What'd you did, do? Did some things. So this weekend, well, actually, earlier the last week, or late last week, Thursday, Friday, I was talking with Dan, our lovely Dan. And he was going to Lebanon, Pennsylvania to go to a swap meet that was out there, a pretty big one. And I was like, hey, do you want to meet out there? Since, you know, he, at the time he wasn't in the hospital, he was feeling pretty good. And he goes, yeah. So Friday, I was doing some other stuff that we'll get to. Got, come Saturday, I went to the swap meet with Dan and uh, spent a couple hours with Dan and Elaine. Yeah, buddy. Nice. Right you had a sighting. Is this what you guys do? You, like, get together in secret and buy planks? Uh-huh. Well, he, we didn't buy any planks. We, my dad actually bought a heli. 
Oh, right on. Hey, What'd nice. you get? My dad bought a scale heli. Oh. Kind. <laughs> Tell us more. It's uh, got Herobo mechanics in it. Oh, that's cool, man. Like a little yeah. older. What kind of scale is it? Like what kind of bird did it? Uh, a bell or something like that. I don't remember. Yeah. Like that one with the crisscross lattice work on the tail? No, yeah. no, not, not that, not that style. Don't, I don't remember which one it is or specifically. I don't, I'm not that smart, but, um, he bought mm. that and it's really cool. Um, it's got, uh, retracts. Oh, nice. And it and it's got a full entire light kit on it with strobe lights, landing lights, everything. It looks it looks yeah. really dope. That's fucking nice. cool. Is it a yeah. Bell two two two? Yeah, I think so. something along those lines. Yeah, I was gonna guess two four two as well. Yeah, cool. something along those lines. Um, that corporate helicopter super cool. thing or Airwolf was loosely like that shape. Yeah, yeah. I think an Airwolf was two two two, and then the two four two is like a more, more passengers, right? Oh, that's right. So. That's like the corporate transport one. Yeah. Like the one in Jurassic Park or something. Don't yeah, hate us, yeah. people. We think scale helis are cool. We just don't know the numbers. Yeah. Dude, we... That's cool as hell. He's going to have to make tune the shit out of that. I mean, he's going to have fun. Oh, he's already got it wired up. The lights all work. It... So it's a little bit old fashioned, but it's really cool. The, the guy that built it put um, for when the landing gear comes up, there's a, a mechanical switch that turns off the landing lights when the when the gear comes up, so it's kind of scale in that nature. When the gear comes up, the landing lights go out, and you just have your strobes and everything like that. Dude, that's nice. cool. Yeah, it's it's pretty cool. So did you say it was a mechanical switch? That's That in and of itself is kind of neat, like, kind of all, like vintage, I guess you could say. So the landing gear comes up and then like activates the switch that turns the lights off. Yeah. So it's like yeah. a pressure switch. When the gear comes up, there's, there's a little yeah. tab that a guy put on it, pushes on it and the landing lights turn off. He yeah. has it wired. So, so they cool. turn off when the switch is activated. It's Fuck really, yeah. it, it, it's really cool. And um, so he's excited about that. So that was a great Saturday ha- hanging with Dan and Elaine. It was a great to see them. I gotta, I gotta interrupt before I get a bunch of hate mail and all the, the Reddit boys swing in and correct me. I know Jurassic Park is an Augusta A109A. I'm sorry I got it wrong. I'm gonna shut up now. Way to go! <laughs> just Google that. Oh, dang. He did just Google it. He's just. Like, I, I did. Well, I just I... don't know my helicopter. Sorry. <laughs> and then another thing that I have received in the week since the last podcast is I got my V Bar Evo. You yeah. bastard. <laughs> FCC say what? Oh no! Uh, Sorry, not FCC. Jesus. Um, who is it? Fa. Yeah, the, the FCC. Is it the FCC. Yeah. Oh, okay. I'm thinking like UL approval or some shit like that. Yeah, yeah. FCC. No, that's well, electrical. We're good because by the time this comes out, it's approved. We're good. <laughs> no. But, For the record, since I bust Frank's chops about this, he I, like Brian actually stepped in. Brian Barrow of Makata USA and was like. We're allowed to import a certain amount of test units into the country while it's under approval. So all of these early Evos in the U.S. fall under this test designation. Yes. And um, so I received that and I got it put in a heli. I got all of my servos set up on 760. And damn, it feels good. (laughs) Yeah, nice. Flies really smooth or like just better? You can just, what did you do? You could feel that... The response of the servos is different. I, I wouldn't, not so much the smoothness, because it feels just about as smooth, like if you're just kind of flying around and everything, but it's when you start 
getting into more of the 3D aspect of it is when you start actually being able to notice a difference in the servos from what I was able to tell. Rob, yeah, I, can, nice. I can explain it to you perfectly. You know when you fly your drones and you get that prop brush wiggle when you turn directions really fast? Yeah. Imagine that goes away completely. Uh, yeah, the so the AI's got your back like big time on these guys. Or yeah, the, the it's just that much more badass. locked. Yeah. 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 And it it's just awesome. It's just as snappy as it was, maybe a little bit more. But I the the servos are wicked fast if you turn it up. Wicked fast. Nice. Um so, so did that's you go through great. that sort of refresh rate tuning procedure or you just kinda like slapped it together and went for it? So the V-Bar Evo has a separate page that isn't in the um, model setup page, you know, where you would normally go in your V-Bar and it would be your edit setup and everything like that. Yeah. To switch it to 760, it's actually not in the model setup. You have to go to a separate page and tell the, tell the Evo that you're running 760, switch it, and then go through the setup. Okay. Oh, nice. So you just redo the setup under 760 and... Yeah, well, or or when you're setting it up, you just you just declare it 760, and then if you have to switch over your servos from 1500 to 760, you do that. And then I just went through my setup like that, so I instantly told the Evo I was running 760, and then went through my setup. I'm not sure if how it would work if you did a setup on 1500, if you switch it to 760, if you would need to go and redo your whole setup. I would go through and look at it if I was doing it just to make sure. Yeah, but yeah, not absolutely. too sure in that aspect. There's a couple of pages that they added for cyclic cyclic things. I haven't messed with it yet, unfortunately. I only got like two flights on it for the weekend. I uh, didn't get to fly it that much, so I didn't get to mess with all, all the new features. But I did get to fly it under the 760, and it's very impressive. So it, super happy with it, and they... Good job, Mikado, is what I can say about it. It top tier. Because uh, 760 has been the thing that I know a lot of people have been waiting for, like me. And super happy with it. Feels great. Nice. Well, we expect you to master all parameters by next week and do a full in-depth review of the Evo. All right. But if I still don't, if the snow is still here that I'm getting tonight, I will go flying anyway. All right. <laughs> yes. You got right on, man. That's cool that you get to play with it. Yeah, so that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to hopefully here in the next couple of weeks, I'm getting a new case so I can take the plastic case off of it, put it in a metal case. Uh, uh, Doug Darby is uh, Doug Darby and Rob Bingham, I should say, are, are doing a metal Evo case like Doug did for the original Evo or Neo, sorry. And that's what I'm going to throw on it when they're available. Super excited. Can't wait to get it on. And then, but besides that, it's just screwing with it and messing around with all the different stuff that they added in it. But that basically is my weekend. I really didn't do anything Sunday. It was kind of just a lay around day. My, my dad actually had to pack up the car because this week we would normally have taken the whole week off and driven to Miami to go to the Amps Heli Smack Fest. And we are not going this year. So instead, I am working because normally I'm working one day a week because of college, but this week is spring break, so I'm working all week. And 
My dad said, well, you go work and make money. I'm going to take three days off and go flying in Virginia. And I was like, thanks, pops. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's great. Have fun. Um, so he is currently driving to Virginia as we speak. I actually think he should be now. He was at, went to Carlisle to drop off the truck and got met up with a friend and they're driving his truck down there. So just me for the week. You got the house to yourself. Yeah. Scary, right? Yeah, man. <laughs> exactly. But that was, that was my weekend, a, a fun packed one, a lot of, uh, exciting new stuff and great weekend heli wise right on because yeah, uh, sure. you've seen dan in person for the first time since surgery and whatnot how's he doing yes um when i saw him on saturday he said he was feeling pretty good i mean let, let me put it the way he said it he said i can breathe now so that's good um i know as we stand now he is he has run into a little bit more health problems and is back in the hospital but saturday he said he was feeling pretty good and was starting to go through starting the getting ready to start the process of going through the rehab for his heart and everything like that. But who knows now, right? Got to go back and get checked up again. So, but he looked good. Elaine, she was looking pretty good. She was getting some wa walking around in after her su her surgery as well. With and she had a walker when she was there, so should not overdo herself. But yeah, they both they both looked pretty good and like they were on the recovery process. Awesome. That's good to hear. Yeah, dude, for sure. Those two are some resilient motherfuckers. I tell you what. Uh, you can't even tell me when I was there. I was like, I'm surprised you you two even have the energy or the will to want to come out and go to a <laughs> RC swap meet when, you know, yeah. you're just out of heart surgery. You just had a surgery. And right. <laughs> like, I wouldn't do that. Right, they're I'd like, what like, should we do? Let's get up and go do a whole bunch of stuff. I mean, That's it's a good cool. thing. It's yeah, a good right. health wise. It's great for them. They're getting up, moving around, you know. But I would not have the I would not have the mentality to be like, all right, I'm gonna get up and do this. Like, I don't know if I could. <laughs> yeah, kudos to you, Dan and Elaine, for sure. Yeah, it was awesome to see yeah, both of them. Sure. I was super happy to see them. It was great time spending time with them. Awesome so, weekend. So tell us, did what did Dan buy? Did he buy a bunch of airplanes? He did not. He did not buy anything. Oh, oh, okay. Whoa. I thought we almost lost him to the other side there. Oh. There was a Synergy N7 there that was for sale. I was like, that's pretty tempting. Mm. Yeah. But, nah, it, it, I was looking at it, and I think the guy wanted 850 for it. I was like, mm. eh, what motor's in it? He's like, a 91. I'm like, eh, okay. Mm, yeah. Eh, okay. Not bad. There were two Agiles for sale there. Uh, 7.2, I think it was. And then, a and then another one. I didn't look at the size of it. Um, there was a T-Rex 700 V1 gasser for sale. Oh, dang. Blast yeah. Old school. There was a, a T-Rex 700 V2 Nitro for sale. And a friend of mine that we fly with here in New Jersey who's into hell, he's just looking to get into Nitro. I was like, I was like ooh. You want something to throw around and just that just to learn on and that you don't really care about that V two you're mm, yeah yeah, yeah. Mm. Uh, got there were a couple goblins for sale. Were I there any uh, were there any Thunder Tiger Raptors? Actually, yes, I saw. Oh. <laughs> yes, yeah. 
Uh, there was a guy walking around when we were walking around, um, when we were just walking through the building there, and I looked over and I'm like, that guy just bought a Raptor 90. Yeah, buddy. That's it was super cool. It was, I learned how to fly on one of those, so. Yeah, at the time they were like, that was the thing, they were everywhere. Dude, that was the bee's knees, they flew really good too. Well, he's got uh, one now. <laughs> but that was great. I also picked up um, a V-Bar, a silver line, if you guys... Nick, if you know what that is, the V-Bar Silverline before the Neos. Got I it do. For, got it for $10 with a sensor. Hey. Wow. Holy what? shit. <laughs> Dang. <laughs> yeah. They fly good, too. They don't have that anti-ballooning bullshit. Exactly. I was like, for $10, yeah. Especially with the, the sensors worth more than that. Yeah, that's wild. Well, that's yeah. cool. So that's now in your arsenal. Yeah. So now I got like, you know, 10 Silverlines just lying around because... It's what we used to fly when we first started flying Mikado, and then we just slowly updated. So we got some stuff to throw in some planes, and uh, but it was a really good weekend. Uh, the swap meet was great. It was great to see Dan. It was great to see some of the guys that I knew at the swap meet. Bill Ann went with us. I had to hey, drive bro. Bill Ann. Oh, man. Uh, that's what I said. I almost <laughs> kicked him out of the car like three times. He was getting, <laughs> he was getting annoying, and I just was like, Bill? Don't make me open the door and kick you out. He's like, you're going to pull over? I'm like, no, I didn't say I was going to pull over. I just said I was kicking you out. Yeah. I can't wait oh, for this video. Uh, yeah. But it was it was good times. Um, the weather was, it was raining and snowing on the, over this weekend. So it was hard to get decent flying in, but I got a couple flights in. So it was a really good weekend. Dude, yeah, well, sounds nice. pretty well-rounded weekend. That's cool. Oh, it was. I still can't believe how pumped it was. Yeah, yeah, nice. My weekend wasn't quite as full as yours, but well, tell me about it. Yeah, you want to know some things? I want to so, know the deep things, deep. You know. So you're you're gonna be getting you. You were talking about you're gonna be getting some snow. I just got some of that front that's probably gonna make it your way and. We got like a lot of snow, like eight inches, and it was heavy, and it sucked ass to shovel. But uh, as we do in Minnesota, I shoveled out my big old landing strip pad thing in the back and got some flights in today, which was cool. Um, like eight flights for the week, I guess, outside. Did a bunch of simming too, you know. But uh, yeah, I don't know. That's uh, pretty basic, not nearly as full-featured as yours, but still, I got to indulge in my hobby for the weekend. and. Um, going through my heli parts and re came across this HP, um, S whatever it is, the HPS three head for the goblin. So I'm eyeballing that. So maybe I gotta, I gotta buy me some more blades and I think I'm going to tune up this head and put it on and try it. But, uh, that's really all I did this week, heli related this week, um, or last week, I should say heli related. But this week, as a matter of fact, I actually have the whole week off because it's spring break. I took the week off just to have some time with the family and shit. So I'm going to go out of town um, south of us. We're going to go down and just do some shopping and milling around and stuff. And then on the weekend, we're going to go up to Duluth and go check out the harbor and uh, go up to this waterfall that's up that way, this Gooseberry Falls, they call it. Um, spend some quality time doing that kind of stuff. So by the time the show comes out, uh, we'll be way farther up north than I am now. Uh, just relaxing, maxing and relaxing about what i got you're going the wrong way for spring break aren't you supposed to go south yeah <laughs> yeah i guess that's the idea <laughs> well so the crazy thing is like okay like down in the twin cities they got like easily twice as much snow as us if not maybe more they got like 11 to 
14 inches, some crazy numbers down there, right? So we actually got less because we're like too far above the front, I guess. So I don't know. They say Duluth is kind of like impervious to crazy climate conditions. But when they do get a storm, you know, it gets nasty. But while we're going to be out there, it should be pretty nice, hopefully. Well, nice. Hope uh, you and the fam have a great trip, man. Yeah, I hope so. Yeah. And then uh, I got a few more packs to burn this week here before I, I put them all back in a storage charge until I get back. But uh, hopefully I don't have any crash stories for next week. Yeah, let's hope so. Speaking of crash stories, I don't have one, uh, but I finally remade <laughs> the Logo 700. <laughs> but yeah, I don't have a lot of hobby stuff either. Honestly, last week I was in, in Boston last week, finishing up uh, kind of a big broadcast project out there. Uh, between that and editing last week's episode, I had zero free time. But uh, I got home a couple days ago and I did manage to find some time last night uh, to repair the Logo 700 tail linkage. Uh, essentially the bell crank had pulled out of the arm it bolts into um because it's just plastic and it's just threads yeah. into plastic which i don't really understand but uh That's weird. i replaced it with it with a new one because the other one had gotten kind of deformed a little bit as it fell apart and i put some jb jb yeah can't speak some jb 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 weld on the threads of the uh of the screw as it went into the plastic in hopes that it'll grab just a little better and honestly, I have a replacement for that whole assembly at this point. So if it fails and the glue ruins it, it doesn't matter. I'll just replace it. Uh, yeah, there you go. In case so it that seems to hold pretty crazy. well. And I, uh, I ran out to Atlanta RC, and we'll talk about that field in a minute. Uh, for the remaiden today, I just literally brought two charge packs with me. I didn't have a lot of time. And uh, it was really kind of cold and windy today. It was 15 mile an hour sustained winds with gusts north of that. Uh, it Oof. was about 50 degrees, but it, what the feels like was like 40 something. Um, so it was, it was chilly, uh, but the 700 flew great, man. It was back to the way it flew before. Uh, after the first flight, I checked the tail, uh, bell crank out again, make sure it wasn't trying to pull out of the arm and it was not. So, uh, I think knock on wood, we're going to call this tentatively fixed. I think I finally found all of the gremlins after the crash, uh, which took me a lot of tries to find them all. Um, so, uh, while I was there putting two packs through, I made sure to fly it as loudly as possible, which I know with my flight style is not as loud as many, but for me, it was loud. And I would like do a funnel in one direction. I was like, no, that's not the loud one. And you'd go the other direction and be like, that's the loud one. And <laughs> just make sure that every protester anywhere near that field knew that we were there flying. Um, so I know yeah, I talked about this briefly there. before, but, you know, they had that week-long festival where they just took over our field and moved into it. Um, and, you know, the police moved in and removed all those folks. Uh, all that aside, this is now the aftermath of that week. So the, the end of that week of protests was, was you know, this past weekend. So uh, it was sad. I'm the first member of Atlanta RC to return to the field since it was closed for the protests. And... Uh, yeah, they did a number on the field. I mean, the good news is is that it, the field was not covered in litter everywhere. So they at least bagged all their trash. But there are literally 10 piles of, you know, 12 trash bags in little clusters yeah. all over the field. We still have to remove that. That's better they than built, nothing. At least they like, put them in bags. Dang. Yeah. But they built this, like, makeshift band stage out of God knows what lumber they found. And that still exists. So we have to take that apart and remove it. And then what I imagine are the tents of the people that got arrested are still scattered all over the field. So there's probably about 15 tents around the perimeter of the field that are just empty. There's nothing inside them. They're all unzipped, just blowing in the breeze. And I'm sure they belong to people that were arrested. But uh, 
I don't know. The club right now is slowly putting a plan together to, to do a cleanup day and we're just going to throw all that crap away. Um, but uh, there's a lot of graffiti. All of our shelters are covered in some pretty profane things. I will not say on the podcast. They're definitely things that I won't bring my son to Atlanta RC until we manage to clean them up because I don't want him seeing that. And uh, they basically turned our runway for the airplanes into a mural. So it's covered in paint um, and a variety of profanities and slogans and things. So that was a bummer. I was really sad. But, you know, it's important to me that we retake possession of the field, that we let them all know that it's ours and that we're still going to fly there. And we gotta we got to clean it up before they think that, you know, they, they've expanded into that zone. So. Yeah, I'm working yeah, on trying to lead the charge on that. And that's becoming a bigger priority for me in the short term than flying right now. So glad I got two packs in. Glad I flew the logo. Uh, but retaking the field is uh, is becoming very important to me. I don't know why, but it's really pissing me off. And and, and I want to get it back. But uh, that's uh, that's kind of it for me and the hobby. Um, oh, I want to give a quick shout out to Kerry Brooks of uh, Team BK. He's an awesome dude. Bit of a Nitro ambassador. He's a big fan of flying Nitro. But uh, he found out I was looking for a couple of, uh, don't yell at me, Scott. This is what Tom Shin told me to buy. I bought your aluminum tape too, though. But uh, to get some of those Nick Maswell gaskets for the 105. Um, and so he shipped me a couple of those, uh, which was awesome. So thanks, Carrie, because they're out of stock everywhere. Appreciate that. Those came in the mail uh, yesterday. Um, and I'm going to try lots of methods and learn lots of things. So I was excited to get those. Anyway, that's it for me. What about, uh, what about you, Scott? What have you been up to? So I have been practicing a little bit more about painting. Um, I actually got these cool like aerosol cans. I thought it was pretty badass. So I was in Atlanta last weekend. So I went ahead and just experimented, what? tried some like asphalt painting. Um, I tried to paint on like uh, roof tiles, shingles. Yeah, yeah. Wrote some stuff. It was I think it was a, a runway. Oh, you fuck. <laughs> 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 did you at least do a uh, good no. job yeah i wrote a bunch of like weird phrases and stuff on it but anyway uh no so seriously um you guys heard i crashed my 700 that has prompted me to change up a little bit with my fleet uh currently right now i'm gonna focus on nitro i know if i have a flying electric i'm gonna just keep flying electric because it's too easy so i'm leaving the electric down it is gonna be on vacation um, and I'm going to get my, uh, my black thunder and another new 700 nitro flying different nice brand. Cool. Ooh, Ooh. So that'll be fun. Other than that, I've been doing car stuff. Uh, drove to Raleigh last weekend to go race mini Z's with my buddy, Daniel. Um, always has a good time doing that. Uh, probably be racing some 10 scale this week, carpet on road stuff. Um, you know. Stuff that I promised I wouldn't talk about, but I'm going to talk about it anyway. Yeah, dude. That's cool, man. Yeah, but yeah, I'm unfortunately going to take a no-fly because I've been lazy and I haven't built my helicopters yet, but I'm hoping to maybe get a nitro flight in this weekend. You're locked in now, though, because you are going. You have to do all nitro because you're no electric now, so now you exactly. got to roll your sleeves up and just get them things built. Yeah, um, it's yeah. so bad I have to like pick and choose what time I wrench on things just because I'm so busy lately and I just can't seem to find time, so... If I do this, it's going to force me to do it, so I'll finally get flights in. There you go. Nice. Yeah, building time gets harder and harder to come by at, at, at sometimes. Yeah, I feel like when my kid gets a little older, it might get easier. I don't know. It's starting to get easier because he's interested in the hobbies I'm doing. Like, the kid loves RC cars, and that's kind of why I've you know gravitated to it so much because he absolutely loves when we do it. So 
Um, I just find myself spending my time doing a lot of that. But I, I, we went flying a week ago and we brought him with us and he was just as interested in helicopters too. So that's cool. It's just, it's more dangerous. Um, you know, I, I just don't want him to run up to it when it's spooling down or something or vice versa. And, you know, we have a good grasp on him. He's not going to get away, but crazier things have happened. So yeah. I still think helis are a little dangerous for his age, kind of running around. So cars are nice and safe. He loves them. He plays with those little toy cars. Like they're the ones I drive and he zooms them around the track with me when I drive on the track. So he's, he's a happy camper. So we'll do that for a bit. Dude, that kid's hand-eye yeah, coordination is going to be the bomb when he I becomes so. like a like a middle-aged kid or a teenager. Yeah, dude. Yeah, he's definitely going to get introduced to helis if he's interested in it. So so far, he thinks they're cool. Um, but you know, at this age, everything dad does is cool. So mm, yeah. if he shows interest when he's older, you bet your ass I'm going to support the hell out of it. Uh, if he doesn't, he doesn't. If he's into like gymnastics or ballet, then I'm going to have a new hobby. <laughs> buy, <laughs> buy, buying the onesies. Yep. Yep, yep, whatever he wants to do. I'm not the kind of dad that's going to force him into something, but he, he likes cars right now, and I'm rolling with it because I can do that. Right on, man. Yeah, you're you're, uh, you're not kidding, man. That fear of kids and helicopters is real. Like, yeah. Teaching my son who loves to, like, you know, he'll ask me if he can go pick up the helicopter after I land and bring it back to the table and, you know, making him wait until it's finished spooling down. and Or, hell, when I had my kids at Heliax, they, somebody crashed and then they watch this like flood of dudes who get all excited to go walk out and see the carnage. And then, mm-hmm. you know, but there's active helicopters flying on either side of the crash scene. And my kids see all these adults running out there and they just ran on out after him. And I was like, no, because <laughs> <No." laughs> you know, they don't necessarily, you know, they, they take a straight line. They don't really think about the helicopters flying on the corners. So uh, oh, yeah. they're running through everyone's box. Well, not really, but it was okay. closer than I was comfortable with. Um, right. They were yeah, definitely not yeah. in the box, but they were right on the edge, and I didn't like it. <laughs> yeah. I'm never a fan of being out there when there's active boxes, man, because it just it's something can happen. You never know, man. I don't know. Yeah. And you got to do it when when you crash. You got to get out there and do it. You know what I'm saying? But yep, those boxes have a way of just reaching out and grabbing you and changing your life. Yeah, they do. <laughs> That might be the most sage advice we've ever given on this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Pay attention, boys. Yeah. Devin, consider that a warning. 20 years from now, if you're complaining about marriage or whatever, we're going to be like, well, remember episode 30. Yeah, I was was about to say, I I don't even know what you're talking about right now. Oh, you will. You will. I'll figure it out eventually. How do you not... We're talking about avoiding negative box interactions, Devin. Are you paying attention? Yeah. Hmm. They come at you from the side out of nowhere. You got to watch it. Mm-hmm. And it's talk. really important. You have to stay in your box. If you yeah. go in another dude's, <laughs> like, you know, someone else's box, dude, it's bad. Everyone gets mad. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Oh, box, I got it. All right. Yeah, I got it. Yep. Wow. No, I got it All now. Right. Well. As the sound of that airplane flying right over Devin's head goes by, uh, let's uh, let's get into some news. We got a lot to get through. All right, so. Tons of news this week, uh, mostly in part 
to uh, Rotor Live, as we mentioned before. But before we dig into all the Rotor Live news and some of the releases uh, talked about there, let's talk about all the rest of the hobby news. Uh, certainly plenty of manufacturers said, well, I don't need to be at Rotor Live to say cool stuff. So first up, Theta Servos. Uh, they showed a preview of their yet-to-be-released Servo Programmer Box. This was on social media in the hands of team pilot Diego Arce. Uh, he's been testing one for Theta. Essentially, this box allows the user access to all of the programming functions previously only available via NFC programming via an Android cell phone with uh, built-in NFC tech. But now it's available via the wired servo connection. So it's no longer via NFC. You literally plug the servo connector into this programmer box, which yeah. is great if your servos are already installed in a model and trying to get the back of the phone to bump the back of the servo was not always possible. And it also, you know, allows the full access to all of the features and programming if you don't own an Android phone, which was big, right? A lot of folks are iPhone users and were not happy that they uh, couldn't program the servo. So hopefully this box will open up more customers to Theta. According to Diego, we'll expect to see these on the market in roughly about a month. But, you know, that's just from Diego, not officially from Theta yet. Uh, I certainly haven't heard a timeline anywhere else on these, but look for them in the not too distant future. And I also have heard, and this isn't confirmed, uh, I'm waiting to hear back from someone at Theta here, that this programmer will allow you to program and tune the Kenny Co. Edition servos from Theta, which were previously locked to the NFC programmer. But I have not Ooh. been able to confirm that yet. But if you got the Kenny Co.'s and you just wish you could center them and leave the rest of the parameters correct, I think Programmer Box will let you do that. But stay tuned for more info on that. So I have a question about that. The NFC version of those servos with the app, are there like more settings than you could have done on the T-Box? Or is it just now that you have them unlocked without needing to do NFC because now there's an updated T-Box that lets you have that? Well, no. So the T-Box only works with Torque servos. Uh, this programmer will only work with Theta servos. Oh, so there never was a wired Theta servo programming box before. Correct. Yeah. There, you uh -huh. know, the, the big complaint from them was that you had to have an Android phone uh, that had uh -huh. built NFC built in, which was most Android phones. But uh, yeah. if you were an iPhone user, you had no way to program these servos unless you borrowed I an, an Android that. phone from someone else. Got it. So that is pretty cool then. But you literally tune anything on a Theta servo from. You know, the, the gains um, from, you know, the speed, how much, you know, current it consumes, uh, you know, really? if there's a limit to the amount of current it consumes, you know, the speed, you tune it much like a flybarless in a way. And I never really got deep into those parameters when I was, you know, flying thetas. But huh. there's certainly, you know, a lot of other interesting things. There were some issues with some of the tail servos kind of overheating. And the fix was you would literally just dial back the, the main gain on the tail servo, not in your flybarless, yeah. but in the servo itself their servo was set to just be really aggressive and sometimes it would get a little too aggressive and get a little hot so that, dude, interesting that's concept. interesting i i never knew that those i just i guess never paid enough attention to the theta servos now my brain is like i'm having one of those mind blow moments like if the guys at theta servos now that they have all the programming available over the wire if they could work with mikado and get a screen on the controller to control the servos parameters from the radio. Ooh. I mean, that is Dude, definitely one of the next steps in integration. And I know that's one of the things Nick Maxwell, when he was on our program, was talking about being able to do through the new JRFBL system they're working on is that you would yeah. be able to program J servos from the radio. Yeah, that Xbox or whatever that crazy box is they have. But right off the radio, do oh, drool. 
that's cool yeah definitely the next level scott it sounded like you were going to say something in there oh i think i just said that was going to be super cool if you can program it through the fly bar list like i was thinking about that with torque servos because they do it over the wire too i definitely think that would be a cool addition to some fbl units dude think about it at this point now um because you know you hear me being a cheapskate on the show a lot and i talk about like yeah, your neat V-bar stuff that's way, way expensive and this and whatever, you know. But now we're getting to the point where if you could sit at the bench or whatever, plug your helicopter in and quite literally touch all the things software all from the screen, that's like, that's like the, that's like Heli Nirvana right there on your radio, you know what I'm saying? And yeah, dude, that would be king of the hill kind of shit for sure. I don't honestly think, and I have no idea or inside knowledge, but I don't think it's in the too distant future. You know, like I said, JR is already working on it. And I mean, obviously the problem is if KST has a language and Theta has a language and Torque has a language, that becomes kind of annoying for all the FBL manufacturers. But, you know, people developing an ecosystem together such that there's a family of products you purchase, then I think we'll definitely see it. Yeah, well, so I definitely could see that like Mikado's already way ahead of the game have an almost like an Apple-esque closed source interoperability advantage, right? But if, say, for instance, the servo manufacturers are all starting to do the same thing, if somehow there was like a standardization of that communication, some sort of serial comm standard that everybody will use on the way out, inside it's proprietary. Your screens, you, you pay extra for the upgrade for the whatever servo interaction for this brand or that brand. But the communication... If it was standardized, you could see how lots of manufacturers could all start to do that. And that would innovate and drive competition and all of that stuff, you know, drive innovation. Yeah, dude, that's great. That's cool, man. Yeah. It's the future and now. This isn't, yeah, absolutely. And, and this isn't the only example of that. You know, EcoDrift is working on an ecosystem that involves their motor, their ESC, and possibly as far as their blades that are all designed yeah. and tuned to work with each other. Where You're literally just pulling out a little preset box in each one and saying, you're talking to this motor and I'm running these blades and it's going to update all it's doing. Anyway, lots of cool possibilities there. We, we could do a whole episode. We probably should do a whole episode on integration at some point. But We should gush all over that for sure, dude. That would be so awesome. I, I love talking to nerdy about that kind of stuff. All right. Well, Scott, this is where you get to correct me again. So in a good way, uh, last week we talked about the new Tron Lightweight 700 and I have no idea how to say this. What did you say? I'm supposed to say dynamic. Is that it? Sounds about right. I don't know. I don't know either. The lack of why troubles me. Uh, Anyway, uh, so more details were released by Tron on that front, and they made me a liar, the bastards. So there wasn't anything too surprising in the specification that they listed, other than that they too announced an RPM range of 1,100 to a maximum of 2,000 RPM, similar to the SAV Puma. Now, I had said in past episodes that it looked like a beefier rotor head than on the Puma and that perhaps it would not have the 2000 RPM uh, rotor head limit, but I was wrong. So I'm a man, I can admit it. So I screwed that up, (laughs) but we did learn, I did make an accurate guess. So I I lost one and gained one. Uh, I guessed that the dynamic would share its rotor head and tail with the Nitron 90 sized uh, helicopter, much like the raw 700 nitro shares its head with the 580. And in fact it does. So, if you are considering the Nitron 90 size and you want to pick up a 700 and lightweight 700s are your jam, if you pick up the Dynamic, it will share the rotor head and tail uh, with your Nitron 90 size uh, helicopter. So for a lot of people, that uh, 
makes models more attractive when they can have a nitro and electric that share a lot of parts. So could be a good yeah, option man. for you there as well. Save some crash bucks. All right, so moving on away from Tron. So also not announced at Rotor Live was that Goose Guy is now working on a special edition of their 380-sized RS4 helicopter. So they've been working in collaboration with Jamie Robertson, uh, who we had on the show a few weeks ago, who's actually joined Team Goose Guy as well. So Jamie's been partnering with them to release a kit version, meaning this version of the Goose Guy RS4 will only include the servos and the motor. You'll have to provide your own ESC and your own FBL of the RS4. And this one seems to have a new servo layout. And I think, because granted, there's just pictures released that I had to sort of stare at before and afters on. It looks like a new tail servo position, or at least attachment method of the tail servo to the boom. Um, that's the best I can tell from the photos. There may be some other improvements as well. Now, this is not meant to replace the RS4, but it's, it's kind of another version similar to like the relationship between, say, the Nick Maxwell edition Spectre and the Spectre V2. Both are on the market. You know, One offers some upgrades over the other, but both are great models and can appeal to a bunch of different people. You know, I have heard some earlier reports of the Goose Guy RS4. Some folks, you know, wishing they could just improve some of its performance characteristics, and, and I don't know enough to really speak more than that. But I suspect this kit version may be for those with some more advanced 3D skills, uh, may benefit from this updated servo layout and, and some other minor upgrades as well. So stay tuned for more info on that. No updated pricing or information or availability on this yet. Nice. I smell a like slightly hotter RS4 coming up. Maybe that motor's a little bit bigger or something. Uh, as far as I know, it's the same motor. Um, I think the changes are mostly servo layout. But again, like I said, they haven't really announced the full feature list, so unsure uh -huh. on that. Okay, so I didn't put any pictures on our new sheet here uh, for Scott and Devin, but maybe you've seen some. Uh, Align has released some teaser photos of their upcoming TN70 Nitro helicopter. And surprisingly, to me anyway, it does not look like the TB70 at all. I was really thinking that it was going to be sort of you know, much like the raw Nitro is, is a version of the raw 700, I thought that this TN70 would be essentially the Nitro version of the TB70, but it, it really doesn't look like that at all. Uh, I was going to ask Scott and Devin to comment on it, but we know how that went last time, so we know it does the spinny thingy and the smoky thingy. Um, but uh, <laughs> to me, it kind of harkens back to the Align Nitro 700s of old. Uh, I'm kind of sad Dan isn't with us tonight to sort of talk about a comparison between his old Align Nitro 700s and these. But in all seriousness, Scott or Devin, did you have a chance to, to look at any pictures of this and have any thoughts? Come on, Devin. What do you mean Hold it doesn't? My... What do you mean it doesn't look like the other one? I don't get it. I think it looks like the other one just with a motor and a fuel tank in it from the yeah. pictures that I saw. What are you Not smoking? when you take the canopy off. Canopy looks like classic Align 700 Nitro frames to me. It doesn't share the, you know, kind of the, the lattice work of the TB70. It doesn't have the white outlines on the frames. You know, the canopy styling is similar, but what's under the canopy is, is way different. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Yeah. As far as I can tell, it looks like it's mostly like a V1, like what every Nitro guy wants. Like, if again, it's the king of Nitros. I see they looks like they did away with the transmission, which is badass because uh, melty melt's not fun. But yeah, that looks sweet, dude. It it looks like the it looks like the previous one, like with the MJ conversion. Remember when they did that? They did direct to swash links and then took out the transmission. It's pretty much that. So that without boom supports, I think that's a win. 
So we think this is uh, essentially just an updated version of the old 700 Nitro? I think so. Well, I do see a little belt too. So it looks like they did away with the gearbox and did a belt drive like an SAB. So yeah, updated old school mixed with some new school. I'll buy one. Yeah, I mean, it certainly seems like all the Align fans I know are are anxiously awaiting this one. They've been waiting for an updated Nitro. So I think it'll certainly sell well. You know, they didn't copy anybody per se. You know, it's got their skids, their frames. There's no funky transmission thing going on, but they do use a belt, which is nice. It gets rid of the gearbox, so your CG is good. And it's got, you know, their boom style. That's badass. So I don't think there's anything to complain about. You can't get people that's like, oh, it's a clone of a raw. This is at least unique. Right. So I think it's a badass helicopter. I will absolutely buy one of these. So one question I have about that helicopter then. Do you think a line will have an upgraded belt right away? Or yeah. away? <laughs> <laughs> Rob, don't be a oh. dick. <laughs> I couldn't help myself. I couldn't help myself. Dude, no, I'm I think sure you've it's been looking ahead. That feels like a segue to our next point. <laughs> yeah, okay. Uh, oh, that's funny. Uh, so, yeah. So, uh, last bit of non-rotor live news, at least for a minute. Uh, a line in other news has offered another in air quotes upgrade part for the TV 70. <laughs> and this part comes with a bonus. This is my favorite feature I've seen on an upgrade part. Uh, this part requires the user to do some quote DIY drilling, <laughs> which was listed <laughs> as like a glue. bullet on the thing I saw on the cut sheet, uh, which is very exciting. So it's a simple $8 additional canopy support damper the tv70 so you know it's that little stubby bit with the rubber thing on the end that just sort of stabilizes the canopy um yeah, you know, there's it no latch on it or around. pin or anything it just sort of puts pressure on the outside of the canopy helps center it and all that so you know helps reduce some canopy shake and vibration uh it to me has the appearance of something that should have been included from the get-go uh certainly is on a lot of other models and to boot it requires you to drill through the side frames to install it so they tell you where they think you should bolt it, and you drill your own hole, and then you bolt it through the frame. So it doesn't replace any bolt already on the frame, much like you'd see in other designs. you got to drill a hole through your brand new uh, UB70 side frames. Nah, just drill it into the canopy. Give it some Frankenstein horns. <laughs> there you go. <sighs> anyway, that's it for Align News here. All right. Moving on to Rotor Live. Uh, so for those of you that don't know, Rotor Live is a big trade show, uh, 3D competition and fun play that takes place, uh, or at least this year, it took place in Germany this weekend. I feel like it takes place in Germany every year. Is that right? Anybody know? Or does it move around? Yeah, Europe? it's in it's in Germany every year. Okay, so it's in Germany it's every at this, year. It's, I'm, Rotor Live, I'm pretty sure, is it's at the same place in Germany every year at that yeah, horse like track that you saw. Horse racing ring, yeah. yeah. So it's a very well-attended trade show by lots of the European and Asian uh, helicopter manufacturers. Uh, so lots of new products were announced there. Uh, all of the pictures I saw of the trade show floor looked like it was packed. So certainly great attendance uh, from what I could see. So a little preface here to some of this news. So unlike how I would launch a new product, which is when I first released it at a trade show, my website would populate magically that morning with all of the details and specifications on this thing. Uh, that's not true for all of these manufacturers. So a lot of the information I have on these new products is a little premature. So there might be some slight white lies in here. I've tried to gather details as best I can. 
But as more information comes in, we'll massage uh, the accuracy here and it'll start to, to go up from here. So if I get anything wrong here, I certainly apologize to the manufacturer, but doing the best I can based on the information I can get my hands on today. I uh, do want to give a shout out to everybody that shared things from the trade show floor on social media, whether there were pictures, uh, Augie, uh, who we had on the show a couple of weeks ago, uh, posted a lot of great videos as he was there uh, from the trade show floor so that uh, those of us who weren't there could take a look at some of the new products being released. All right, with that disclaimer out of the way, let's uh, start digging into some new products. All right, the first new product up for discussion is from Contronic, a well-known motor and uh, ESC manufacturer uh, based in Germany. So Contronic released their new line of motors called Project One. Now, I don't have a ton of details yet, but most notable is that the motor itself features an integrated temperature sensor that I believe can only be read out if you use the motor in conjunction with a cosmic uh, high-voltage ESC. Uh, other features are that they are hand-wound, uh, feature improved passive and active cooling, and a, quote, stiff and pre-stressed bearing. Quote, not quite sure what that means. Scott, Devin, any, any thoughts on stiff and pre-stressed bearings? I don't know. Maybe it's <laughs> over the age of 30, so it's pre-stressed and stiff. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I can think of jokes about that. I was like, I don't know what a pre-stressed bearing is, but I mean, there are some there are some bearings that, when you put pressure on the races, actually run smoother than if the if you just run them. So that's what they might mean by pre-stressed. They they are putting a little bit of pressure in the bearing, so that way they get that smooth run out of it. So preload, maybe they're trying to say preload. Preload in a way, yeah. Yeah, it could be a bad translation of preload for sure. Okay, that makes sense. All right, there you go, Devin, surprising me out of left field there. They claim that this new line of motors are, as always, excellent for F3C, 3D, scale, or speed flying use, so pretty much the whole gamut of helicopter use. Uh, pricing for these motors, they do come in a few varieties here. Uh, again, I need to spend more time with the specifications. A lot of this stuff I really only got to this morning, so I haven't had a lot of time with it. But uh, definitely, most of these motors are in the larger size. Most seem to be suited for 700s at quick glance. I'm sure they're undoubtedly very high quality and great performing motor. However, they come at quite a price premium, which obviously most Contronic motors do. So the typical 700 size motor is going for $800 for that motor. Damn. Uh, you, yeah, you can also purchase them in a combo kit with a Contronic ESC. And the benefit of that is you will get this sort of updated telemetry functions where you can get uh, motor temperature readouts direct from the motor itself. And that bundle is going to set you back $1,500. Now, Dang. you could buy two motors and two ESCs for a 700 from some other top brands in the hobby for that price. Is it worth it? I don't know. I'll let, I'll let you know the modeler decide that uh, for themselves. Certainly, Contronic makes a great product, but uh, that is quite the premium. Uh, anybody else see anything unique about those motors I missed? Did they specify if they're going to cover escrow costs for that or no? I know, right? right? Can you refinance? <laughs> yeah. I think you just have to sign over your firstborn, and then you're good. Oh, okay. We can do that. Dude, all I know is Contronic Motors, every time I've ever seen reference to one or watched one, like on a video or whatever, one of the first thoughts I have pretty quickly into the experience is, man, that seems like a lot of power. So I don't doubt that these motors are phenomenal, probably. They're probably well worth that 800 I mean, so it's got like a temperature sensor built right into the can somewhere. You know, it's got all kinds of extra spindly bits right on it, you know, which I think is pretty rad. So it warrants the price, I'm sure. It's it's not in my bracket at all, but it's really rad. Yeah, I don't doubt that the 
price is unjustified based on you know the materials used and the quality of construction and other things. The question is, does the performance gains, if they are in fact gains, worth twice the price of some pretty awesome performing motors and ESCs? Yeah. Yeah, yeah I was, was going to say, because if you go back a little bit in the past, Contronics were really good motors, but when you get to nowadays, there are also other really good motors out there. So yeah, it's, it's kind of... It, it's really going to come down to a, what you're willing to spend in a personal preference, isn't it? What I do want to know is, you know, we don't really struggle with temperature that much these days. I mean, I don't even run a fan on my ESEs, right? But right, right. Why, why are we concerning ourselves with these cooling fins on the outside can of a motor and, and stuff like that? I mean, I'm no physics major or anything, but I do also wonder, you're putting these blades on the outside of the can and this thing's spinning at like, what, 15,000? 20,000 RPM, maybe even more. Um, so I'm not going to create drag in the bell and technically have parasitic drag in your motor and take away power. Like, I feel like I they're solving that, a problem that doesn't exist. If we don't have thermal issues right now, for the most part, um, even flying like complete lunatics, you know, why are we trying to solve another problem? Maybe it's for scale inside something where it doesn't have ventilation. I don't know. Yeah, the only other thing I thought of there is, does it increase efficiency? So if you're flying F3C and you need to get through seven minutes for the whole routine, does a little extra cooling in the motor get you a little more flight time? I, I, I don't know. That is a good question because even modern motors nowadays, just the motor spinning at that RPM has a natural cooling effect on it. So yeah. it's, hard, it's hard to say if what, how that would affect the cooling aspects and the drag aspect of that, right? I just blow on it. Or, or yeah, just just buy that three D printed fan, make yeah. run it till it almost melts, put it on there, and then fly it again. You'll be fine. The temperature sensor thing gets me though, because I feel like I just land and I have a heat gun. Or first, I use my finger, and then if I really want confirmation, I just hit it with a temperature gun. And I don't know that I I need to see that in flight, but maybe there's a different application for that that just I don't not thinking of. Yeah, if I you pull know. your if you pull your finger off after two seconds, it's hot. You know, like, there you go. So back in the old days, I had this little Eagle Tree. If anybody knows about or remembers the Eagle Tree telemetry sensor deal where you could buy the various add-ons and plug in, plug them in or whatever, the little servo style connectors and stuff. And I had an RPM sensor and a temperature sensor and this and that. And I would put these gadgets on, on the helicopter really kind of at the beginning just to record some telemetry about, well, how is it set up? Did I, is it, is it, is the motor getting super hot? You know, did I? Um, did I, do I have to adjust my curves or what's the RPM of my motor so I can figure out the math and stuff. But once I was comfortable with where everything was, I just pulled that shit off my helicopter and, and just put it down on the bench till later. So, I mean, I mean, I get that like in a motor to have, having the sensor in there and having it talk to the ESC, that's really cool. And I'm sure there's an application out there somewhere and the contronics lovers are just hating that we're, we're like picking this apart here you know what i mean but i think it's neat and i think it's cool that it's all built in and stuff like that i just feel like it's not like a daily use feature unless there's some application that i'm not aware of maybe heavy scale or deep scale stuff they got to do that maybe i don't know that's my brain dump yeah it's funny to hear you talk about um i think a lot of times and it's funny i'm thinking of an early rchn 2.0 episode where they were talking about telemetry and dan was actually sort of going like why do i need this why do I need telemetry? Like, yeah. this is not something I need to know every flight, much like you just said, Rob, of like, well, you know, why do I need to know this? 
granted, I don't think they're quite the same example, but it's true, right? I think there's as new pieces of telemetry become available, our initial reaction is, why do I need that? And I think we can come up with use cases for that stuff where it actually becomes helpful, especially to those at the top end of performance. So maybe there is some use for it yeah. that we're just not imaginative enough to come up with. But yeah, I struggle to find the relevancy of it. But I'm open to hearing why that's useful. So if you're with Contronic and want to share some more info, by all means, reach out. Let us know uh, uh, why we're wrong. We're happy to listen. So I actually reached out to Brian Birdsong, who we've also had on here, who is on Team Contronic. And I oh, asked yeah, him about sure. Project One, and he said the team was just kind of getting up to speed about him. So uh, I expect to hear more yeah. from him as he learns more. But uh, he didn't have a lot okay. to share there yet. And I think Contronic kind of surprised everyone with it at Rotor Live. So fun. Yeah. And speaking of Rotor Live surprises, let's move on to one of the bigger ones. Uh, so SAB had some for us as well. So SAB has not officially released either of these two helicopters, but they had. Sort of previews, I think is the word they used for them, of two helicopters in the works for future release. Uh, the first of those was the RAW 500. Now, the RAW 500 looks to be a belt drive helicopter with the same styling as the rest of the RAW line. Features a single piece landing gear setup, meant for 6S setups in the 2200 to 2700 milliamp range. 4015 size motors and uh, in conjunction with an 80 to 100 amp ESC. Now, when I first saw this helicopter, I had the same reaction as kind of a lot of people. I was like, oh man, really? Another RAW? Like, what's next? The RAW 520.5, the RAW 560, the RAW 570. But then I kind of thought about it for a minute. I was like, I think, I honestly think this RAW 500 has the potential to be a fantastic first kit build helicopter for new people. Oh, yeah. So think about it, right? Like a high quality SAB manual, SAB's tolerance for a variety of builder skill levels, right? So a, a fairly new or not a very good builder can still get a great flying helicopter out of it. It's tolerant of that. Uh, it's a non intimidating size. Right? Like the 580 can feel a little big. Like a 600, when you haven't flown anything that size, can feel pretty big. Whereas a 500 is, is kind of just big enough that. It's probably much more stable than, say, the 420 is. Doesn't yeah. have the high cost and intimidation of the 580 or 700. So the more I thought about the 500, the more I think there's definitely a, a solid place for this model on the market. And, and you know, I'm kind of looking forward to, to hearing more about it, especially, you know, how stable it is and how well it flies. Dude, it's a surprise to me, too, at this very moment as you tell us about it. And I think it's really cool. I know for me, for instance, the Galley X5, which is a 500 mil blade helicopter, um, before that, you know, I had smaller helicopters than that or whatever, but I felt like when I got the 500 and I flew it, your comment about it being the stability change, I felt like there was a big bump there. And, and in my mind, it was like, oh, okay, so this is what big helis feel like. This is what it's supposed to be like. This is what everybody else says about like when you want to, you know, start up at the beginning or whatever, get a stable helicopter. Dude, I think this would be a, a that's a great spot to be in. The 420 is a really cool helicopter, but it just seems really a little too aggressive for the brand new pilot, right? But maybe this 500 will just fit the bill, you know, nice, nice, simple to maintain belt tail and all the things. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I feel like the sort of 200 size is kind of the sweet spot as a beginner's first model right now, you know, an, an OMP M2, a Goose Guy S2, a Logo 200 a Blade 230S, you know, any of those helicopters, 
I think is, is really the sweet spot for beginners for the most part, unless you have help, but that's a whole other episode too. But I think the 500 is definitely like the first kit build. It's a, it's a sweet spot for sure, I think. Yeah, totally. That, that's not as intimidating or as expensive to crash, honestly, as something bigger. Uh, Scott, Devin, you notice anything about the, uh, the Raw 500? Kind of expected. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, a line of helis, they have a 700, they have the 420, they have the Nitro. 500's going to be next that size you know in that line it makes sense yeah so it's like four five yeah. six ish seven yeah no i'm with you there well a 600 but it's kind of it's like when they announced it at rotor live and i saw pictures of it i was i was not surprised by it i'm not disappointed by it at all i just not surprised I think, and I think it'll be just as good as a heli as the rest of them, especially for the aspects that you were just talking about, Nick. So I think uh, kudos for them for coming up with that. And hopefully, uh, once we know about it too, it's also maybe in a price point that's great for the beginner side of it as well. Are we all in agreement that this is it, SAB? Like, no more RAWs after this? Like, I mean, would, would we permit a smaller, like, NX4 size Nitro? you know, type raw, or are we like, no, this is it. Like, no more. We don't want to see a 330, a 492, or, or any more. This is it, right? I mean, they have the raw 700 nitro, right? They didn't do uh -huh. it. Did they, they didn't do a smaller raw nitro yet, did they? Yeah, they did. The raw 580 yeah. nitro. Oh, it's there. Yeah. I, yeah. I forgot about it. Um, <laughs> yeah, I forgot about it. I mean, they have, if they have the 580 and the 700, there's, those are the two main sizes everyone's looking for. I don't... The Gowie NX4 is an awesome helicopter. It really is. I've flown one. I've flown the stretch version of it. It flies really good. But I feel like the demand for that size Nitro is not really high enough to justify uh, doing a heli in that size. It's, it's also more common for... OS 50s and stuff in that size. I mean, you can get a 37 and stuff like that, but most people are looking for 580 to 600 and 700 class helis. They're not really looking at that size, are they? In nitro, yeah. you mean? Yeah. Yeah, in the nitro side. Yeah, I mean, I think, I guess there's probably a chance that on the electric side, they might go smaller than the 420 and still keep it in the raw line. You know, they had the Fireball and, uh, you know, some of those other, the Buddy 380. I don't see him going 380 with the 420 out, but uh, who knows? I could be wrong. I'm, I'm, they might. I don't know if I see them going real small like that again, though, because the Fireball and the Comet, they, 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 they flew okay, but they, and they sold well initially, but they kind of fell off really fast. Yeah, people got kind of bored with them or tanked them so many times at least so agile <laughs> yeah at least from what i saw they did really well in the beginning and there were a lot of people flying them but within the first year i noticed that they, they kind of just fell off so i don't know if i see them going that small again in that line i should say maybe they will in a in a different line of helis but as of right now i don't see it yeah, I mean, who knows? They might go the Mikado route, right? And just license a 200-size heli from somebody else, be it Goose Guy or OMP or, you know, 
let someone who's really good at small helis help them release, you know, the 200 of their own if they really want to. But I don't think SAB is, is really that excited about that size. No, yeah. The, yeah. There's so many good helis of in that size span right now that it's to come out with a heli of that size and try and get into that market is really hard because the helis that are in that size that of the known brands absolutely dominate that market. So it's it's really hard to introduce a new heli into there and to get people to be like, all right, well, I'll try one because the other ones are already so good. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, in the 200 size, I don't I don't see SAB getting there because I think the things SAB offers as an advantage, there's not the profit margin to support. So investing all the time in a really beautiful full color manual and really, you know, well done packaging. You know, there's just not the margin for that in a 200 size, you know, then all of a sudden you become the most expensive 200 on the market and people are going to go elsewhere. So anyway, we're getting way off the rails here and it's all my fault as usual. But uh, let's bring it back to Rotor Live. (laughs) All right. So also from SAB at Rotor Live, they had another preview of a sort of new model, more of a refreshed model. So the SAB Genesis is their FAI F3C uh, 700 size model, and they have released a refresh version of it. So there's a new canopy scheme on it with sort of orange highlights. And I, I don't have many details yet uh, on what other design improvements made other than that they've updated the drivetrain to uh, something that incorporates a little bit more belt drive action is, is kind of what information I have at this point. Uh, like I said, they updated the scheme uh, to orange. Uh, so no info yet on official pricing or release dates or any of that. Just kind of an, an early preview. So they're just sort of letting us know that they are uh, working on the Genesis. So I reached out to uh, Bert Kemmer over at uh, SAB USA to see if he had any uh, further info to share. And it sounds like the SAB Genesis definitely does have an updated transmission. Uh, and more information to come on some other updates they've made. But uh, yeah, a bit of a redesign on the Genesis. So those FAI F3C folks will certainly be happy to hear that. Honestly, it's just a great looking model if you like a full fuselage bird, uh, which I certainly do. Yeah, it's a really good competition heli. I know everyone that has them loves that heli, especially because I think the Genesis is also the version that has the adjustable dampeners in the head. And I know they love that when it comes to the the that F three C F F three N style yeah. competition because you can you can change your dampeners according to what you're doing. So sounds awesome. Yeah, the Genesis, the original version, is what uh, Brian Birdsong used to win Sportsman uh, last year. And uh, watching him practice with that thing, man, when it's properly tuned and set up, that thing flies. I know it's cliche to say this, but it flies on rails, like rolls dead axial, just, you know, it, it performs like you've drawn the maneuver on the chart, you know, with perfectly straight lines and nice, neat circles and all that uh, (laughs) in the right hand. So certainly a good flying bird. All right. Moving over away from SAB now to XL power. Uh, So they were not only at rotor live, but the man himself, Rockaboon was there who, if you have been living under a rock, is the chief designer over at XL Power. So I watched the video that Augie filmed of Ra explaining the clutch stack of the new Spectrum Nitro. I gotta say, I was really impressed. So I, again, I want to preface this by saying I don't know a ton about Nitro. I'm you know in the learning phase right now. But I just like 
little design features that make life easier. And the way they use these sort of multiple tapers to get things to self-align, so the fan and you know parts of the transmission, they just sit on these different size tapers. So the gear that goes at the bottom has the widest hole and sits on the largest taper, and the one above that, you know, has a, a smaller taper in it. And you know they just end up perfectly level on the uh, on the clutch stack, and uh, certainly looks very maintenance friendly. The way Rob was explaining, and again, it was very hard to hear on the trade show floor as they were filming, but you know it it truly does look like. And I know Scott, uh, which as an aside, by the way, unfortunately, if you are suddenly going, where did Scott go? Uh, Scott had to leave us. He just got called into work, unfortunately. So go fix uh, some machine. So uh, that's why Scott's voice has suddenly vanished. He's sorry to have to take off, but anyway. Uh, back to Ra, as he was explaining the clutch stack and how easy it is to pull the motor from from the helicopter and remove various components of it. Uh, I thought it was pretty sick. That's one of those videos from Rotor Live that I think is definitely worth seeking out. That's on the Facebook group RC Heli Hangout. Um, did either of you happen to get a chance to see that? Okay. So I have flown the Spectre Nitro. Ooh. And I have worked on it. So... When we were at RCHO, someone brought their Spectre Nitro. Frankie. Unfor- unfortunately, we had to rebuild the motor at RCHO. Oh, yummy. Um, unfortunately, um, the main needle was only a quarter of a turn out, and it looks like it ingested a piece of the gasket that was in it. Oh, shitty. That yes, doesn't sound good. It scored a bunch of stuff up, so we uh, wet sanded all the scores out and uh, rebuilt it and ran great. But I will say, along the lines of getting the motor out, it was it was about five minutes. I would say five ten minutes to get the motor completely out of the heli when we had to take it out. So huh. it was very interesting. There's um. There is a threaded shaft that goes on the end of the crank, so you can unscrew that and pull the motor out that way. Very nice to get out. And it, f- it flew pretty well, actually. Because uh, after that, we had, uh, I had set the needles and we wanted to do a test flight, make sure the motor was okay, and get some flights on the heli. And very smooth. That clutch stack setup that they have got going is very smooth. Nice. It's doing it's doing the job nice. well. Yeah. Um it you don't really feel any weird te- any tendencies in that clutch. You don't you don't feel any slippage, you don't feel any of that. It's very nice, smooth and strong uh conversion of power from the motor to the head. Uh an overall smooth helicopter, but also smacks very well. So nice. It's smooth and it smacks. I'd like to hear about like taking that clutch stack apart after like twenty or thirty flights, and it's been banged on a little bit. It and see if all the fiddly bits come apart easy and stuff. Yeah, it sounds I like mean, they're designed to, right? We um, and it wasn't an issue that we had. It, there's nothing wrong with the design of it. Um, of course, we had taken the heli apart, and there is the shoe. Had um, the way that the shoes held on to that. There's a, uh, I think, if I'm correct on it, when from what I remember, there's a bolt that goes through the center of the shoe that goes, I think, threads into the shaft that goes to the motor that goes to the crank, and that bolt had 
loosened up and the shoe was able to walk out and lock itself into the clutch bell. But we had we we had just completely had torn the heli apart and put it all back together in two hours. So no flaw of the heli whatsoever. It was just us trying to get the heli flying. Didn't yeah. cause didn't cause anything because like that can't really you can't start the motor. So you're gonna notice. And it was as simple as as it had Loctite on it. We just cranked it back down and went out and flew it. Very easy. And it's a very slick design, I will say. It's it all lines up very well from what I can tell. The uh the clutch shoe depth into the bell is perfect. It nice. it sits exactly where it needs to sit to get the perfect amount of engagement and surface from the shoe to the liner inside the bell. It it sits right there, does not rub, it's just the shoes coming out and grabbing and it and it sits really well. The the measurements on it are very good. Nice. And it, it looked like from the video too, that again, it was so loud on the trade show that it's, it's really hard to film anything in there and hear people. But, uh, but there's one of those tools that XL power includes is actually to pull one of those gears off of the clutch stack. I can't remember which part it was, whether it's pulling the fan or the, the part of the clutch. I don't remember. Again, this is one of those deals where I'm still learning about nitro and I probably said all the wrong words, but, uh, it it just looks like they really thought about, you know, how you service the thing, how you can build it most accurately. Uh, you know, it's, it's like I talk about with SAB, how to help people build things more accurately, even if they're not the most skilled builder. So it uh, seems like a slick design. Yeah, it works really well. Way to go, Rob. Yeah. And like any new anything in any helicopter, you know, time will be the the, the greatest critic of it. So we'll see how it holds up. But uh, Ex- it certainly looks exactly. Like- yeah, exactly. Time's the only way you can tell, right? You have to put hours on something. You have to get wear into something to see what the characteristics of that wear are and where it wears. So we we shall see. I'm sure they know already for whoever's been testing it before this. Um, so if they've stuck with it, the wear pat, the wearing of that whole entire system has to be pretty good for main it has to be good for maintenance and any of that na- anything of that nature so right on well we certainly we certainly know that nick maxwell put in what 20 gallons worth of fuel through the thing before it uh, went to market from the final version so um, oh for sure they did their due diligence there <laughs> all right moving away from xl power now over to yge on the esc side YGE ESCs were showing off their ability to output a BEC voltage of 12 volts. So if you've been uh, paying attention, uh, you notice that the new Neo Evo FBLs can run on up to 12 volts of uh, input voltage. YGE had a sort of test stand, kind of a plaque that they had built together that had, uh, I think, four or five KST servos on it running at uh, 12 volts. My guess is probably airplane servos uh, at that size. And a Neo Evo, which can, you know, manage that higher voltage. And they were, you know, flapping those servos back and forth as fast as they can. They had a little voltmeter on there. Uh, you know, the main takeaway for me from this is it's just nice to see manufacturers catch up with each other and work together. So it's yeah. great that the Evo can support 12 volts of BEC input, but it's useless if nobody else develops anything to go with that. Uh, so nice to see YGE, you know, uh, bring that feature to market uh, right away. 
Did they say anything about like how many amps draw it could pull at the 12 volts there? Are we like uh, again? This is another one of those like you know hard to say in the video, and I think we'll learn more information soon. So no, not that I caught. Unless did you hear I, something, Devin? No, I didn't really catch anything. But with a higher voltage, usually the amp draws less. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. true. I mean, it comes down a little bit. So versus running them like eight volts on your servos or something, if you yeah. had servos you're running twelve volts, you're going to pull less amps. And I'm just picturing like a like a fifty or sixty size plane or one of those big ass planes with like four servos, and you're doing really hard three D, lots and lots of torque. But you know? yeah, exactly like you said, it also really depends because, as I just said, you know, usually when you raise the voltage, you lower your amperage, but if you have a guy on a guy flying a plane, a helicopter, anything of that nature that can that is a very aggressive three D pilot, of course they're going to draw amps because the servos are going to be working pretty hard. Yeah, yeah. It's so, I feel like it's probably like ten, fifteen amps or something like that. That seems adequate at twelve volts for sure. Yeah, I've just never actually. Out of my ass. I, I don't I have no idea. You know, I've never so. actually tested that current draw. I probably should to see. I would like to know. But, so back in the Eagle Tree days, I was talking about my Eagle Tree. I that was one of the things I would test is current draw, and so I put my heli on the bench. And this is back in the day where I was just uh, servos were just broaching the eight volt mark. You know what I'm saying? And so you could just start turning your. They're rated at seven point four volts, but you could just put them on a two cell pack and uh, maybe a regulator or something. I would I run my old Hyperions right off a two cell fully charged two cell lipo. That's what I started up. The Beastex runs on that. But anyway, my point is I would put that eagle tree on there and I would just really just bang on it like Nick was talking about the example with the plane and stuff like that. And at 8 volts, I could pull, you know, like 6, 8, you know, 9 amps sometimes. Or I'd grab, I'd, I'd maybe do full cyclic and just grab the grip and just put a little bit of torque on there just to see, what, you know what I mean. And But, you know, the BEC, I was using the old Castle Creation external and there they were 10 amp BECs at 8, you could go up to 8. Or the BC, you could go up to eight volts, but on my uh, when I was doing the two just the two cell pack, when I was running the current, I was pulling you know anywhere from six to eight amps current right on the bench. So I could imagine in the air, if I was a pro pilot at eight volts, I I would be pulling quite a bit more, you know. So, but I don't know. Anyway, I I kind of I digress, I guess. <laughs> yep. Sure. Anyway. Uh, anyway, I, I agree. I just wanted I to know how many amps were in that badass ESC. That's all, all. of them. That's, they're all the things, or all the amps all are the, in there. All of them. Yep. As much as necessary. <laughs> all all what I need. What interesting to see is, is these FBLs and ESCs evolve, whether it's going to become the new normal, right? You know, we're up to 8.4 volts at this point. Is 12 volts a year from now going to be the new thing? Yeah, I'm also right. wondering to see how that affects current draw from battery to ESC, because you'll have... A 12 volt BEC now, but then you also still have to worry about the uh, ESC side of it for the motor, right? Mm -hmm. So I'd like mm -hmm. to see how that changes current draw through the wires. Yeah. I mean, theoretically, your wattage could remain constant, though, as you're altering your voltage and current and whatnot. So, yeah, it's a, it's, you know, may not be possible. a huge difference there. Yeah. But, you know, who knows? We start taking advantage of the higher voltage and, and making servos do beefier things and increasing, you know, current draw, you know, that can certainly start to take a toll. Get them going way faster too at 12 volts, right? So, I mean, at some point we got to level off, right? Like 
We got the Evo FBL running at ridiculous refresh rates. We got fast servos. We got higher voltage servos. You know, yeah. at some point, it's just, you know, we're just going to start melting plastic. We're going so fast. <laughs> or, or we're going so fast, we're literally just wasting, you know, wasting battery power because we can't really appreciate that speed and it's just costing us, you know, flight time. Oh, there goes a ball link. I just moved the servos. <laughs> Bing. Yeah. <laughs> Ting. <laughs> that too. <laughs> the rest of the hardware has to be able to keep up too. There's that too. Moving on. Speaking of new and interesting stuff, let's head on over to Miniature Aircraft. They were also at Rotor Live. Uh, and they had lots on display. So, of course, they had their new gasser model, the Interceptor, out that we've been talking about uh, in depth on the podcast last few weeks so that was on display for folks to see uh for the first time it looks pretty much exactly like the renders as uh as it should uh they had a nice collection of scale helicopter fuselages on display didn't have a lot of info about those yet definitely intrigued about those and uh they also had that painted full fuselage for f3c or similar use that they're calling the impulse this fuselage will eventually fit uh the new F3C model they're developing, but it also fits their current Whiplash electric model. And the most interesting thing they had on their booth, however, was a brand new rotor head and swash design for a new line of helicopters they're developing called the Sucura line of helicopters. And apologies if I pronounce that incorrectly, but this line is expected sometime around the end of the year. Now, the interview I saw on this new rotorhead on the trade show floor was a little bit hard to hear, but it sounds like this line of helicopters may include a 3D machine and an FAI type machine, you know, F3C as well. Now, the swash plate design is a little bit hard to put into words, so I know you guys have seen it as well. Let me try and describe it and then bail me out and help me actually describe it when I'm done here. But it essentially combines the swash plate and the follower arms into one surface that rides up and down on two posts. Well, rides up and down on the main shaft like any swash plate would, but also on these two vertical posts that extend downwards from the head block. So the blade grip arms are then attached via these fixed length rods that have not a ball link, but like a ball end that rides on this receiver, which I'm not quite sure what that interface looks like, on the swash plate itself. So imagine a round disc with an interior rotating swash plate with your typical links to your main servo drive links. And then these two fixed rods coming down that go to the blade grips. And as the swash rotates and goes at any angle, it alters, you know, these rods go up and down much like the main drive links would. Wow, I'm doing a horrible job explaining this. This really is better, <laughs> is better done during video. So that probably made not even a little bit of sense, but it's an intriguing design. It's a little bit cleaner than, say, you know, the follower arm type deal. It's definitely some new thinking. I love seeing folks trying some new things in the hobby. Uh, so, you know, mad props to miniature aircraft for experimenting with some new designs. You know, what are the advantages and disadvantages? I don't know that I know yet, and I don't know that I really heard their reasoning for this yet. So I look forward to sort of hearing more. Can either of you describe that even a tiny bit better than I did? Because, boy, did I do a bad job. Uh, it looks like a cracker with a fork poked I just, through it. I just posted a picture <laughs> of it on our on our group chat here. Help, like look yeah. at it while trying to describe it. 
but it... I have a picture here too. Yeah. So I'm going to make an attempt. So, okay. You know, a lot of times, not a lot of times, like, what am I talking about? All swash plates are basically like a stack. It's like a sandwich, right? You've got the wider outer ring where you have the balls that you connect to your swash. And then there's that really big, really thin bearing that goes between the, the wider part and then that middle stack that all this, we all are used to having on our swash plate that sticks up a little bit in the middle, right? And on there, usually is where you have your links to go to the arms. Well, this guy is like a little cracker. It's just flat. So it's like that outer ring and then the really big bearing, that big, thin, wide, like big round bearing that separates the two rings that we're used to is there. But inside that is just another flat little cracker thin thing. Um, but in the middle of that has basically open, what look like open ball links or like, you know, the big ball that's on the shaft of your swash that uh, lets the swash rotate around. There's two little tiny ones, one on each of the swash uh, or, or the head pins, if you guys remember the old days, they had the two little pins that came down and went on your follower. Well, you don't need a follower because the pins just go inside these little tiny swash plate balls, kind of like your main shaft has now. So it's like these three little shafts, basically. And so now when you could imagine the swash plate rotates, each of those balls, it respectively can rotate on their own pin, just like the main shaft can, is the theory. Um, and then the arms, when I look closer at the arms, it's your standard turnbuckle link, right? Um, but since we've already solved this follower issue, it just is a, a link that comes right off of a ball. You don't need a rigid connection at the arm, the grip arm or anything like that, because you're not stopping any weird motions that already happened with the pins. Um, but now you have this link that goes down. And Nick, you'd mentioned there's that part you can't really see. In my mind, I feel like what we're seeing under there is another ball that comes out of that little middle cookie I talked about. Um, and just is a ball that faces the same way as the one on the grip arm so that it's straight vertical like that, right? And so in my mind, I feel like the purpose for this is to get the, uh, that point of momentum perhaps off of the grip arms to be at exactly the same axis as where the servos are pressing the ring and moving the ring and also being able to keep that arm really far out as it's really just riding on almost looks like the inner race of the big giant bearing, right? Um, so anyway, that's the, it's like a cracker with a fork poked in it. And, um, the links are just, they, they're, everything is right on access on that main ring of the swash. So I could see, I could see how that would help for interactions and F3C style, really precision style flying and stuff like that. The one part that I'm not sure about, and as, as we, you know, when we put this out and by then people, more people will have seen it probably, but the grips look like I'm looking at a black head block a red ring that's separated with like a bearing or something is in there. And then the grip uh, up against that. And I don't know what the ring is all about. So, so I was intrigued by that too. So first of all, just to back up a minute, yeah, <laughs> I'm picturing someone like on a long road trip, listening to this podcast who hasn't <laughs> seen the picture going like, what the fuck are they talking about? A cookie inside <laughs> a cookie, which having seen the picture, I think that's a great description because I know exactly what it looks like, but yeah. Man, I feel like if you haven't seen this picture, we're going to have to post a picture on our Facebook group because everyone's going to be lost as all get out. So You know what? Uh, I, I do have one question about it that's intriguing me. Almost every heli on the outside races of that bearing, right, has a post that comes off of whatever, you know, however it works for mm -hmm. what we call the anti-rotation, right? 
So yeah, as the heli's yeah. spooling up and it torques, it stops it from pulling the servos out of square or the arms out of square. I yep. don't see that on this. So it, I you, would like I to did. see there how... Is, like, there's a hole for the alignment pin that they just hadn't installed. Is there? Okay, because I was looking at the pictures. At least on I the see, video, I saw it. Because looking at the pictures that I'm looking at now, I see two of the servo balls for the for the cyclic servos. I can't see the third one, so I don't know if it's there. But it, I, it doesn't exactly look like it has that any rotation. So until I know more, because I haven't seen too much on it in grave detail, that that's kind of interesting me as well. Because how if they came up with some other way of counteracting that torque, because that's yeah, that's a pretty necessary. No, part. And, and like I said, I definitely saw a threaded hole that I assume an alignment pin would thread into. Now, who knows what the finished helicopter will look like. Maybe it'll be yeah. something different. Certainly a very well, interesting squash, so that's definitely there. Um, well, and you remember like the old T-Rex 600 and stuff. They have the A-arm for that back elevator. My old Gowie 550 was the same way. You could buy an upgrade and put a pin in the swash if you wanted to, but it still was run with an A-arm that came up rather than just a servo link. So yes. the A-arm was catching the torque and so maybe if uh, a jet i don't know if the genesis does that or not but so if some bird if maybe a miniature aircraft came up with a bird that had ran the a-arm on the elevator or whatever that would solve the issue right you wouldn't yes. have the the thing yeah i, I was just i was just look because looking at the picture i it not that it's not there but i don't see it in the picture it just might not be in it yet but yeah because i would kind of assume it would have that but with the kind of design features that are around the helicopters now with the three servo sweat setup we're kind of away from that a-arm setup that's right in the, the old school current. helicopters yeah yeah um but it's just something that catched my eye well nick said there's a pin and it goes yes. probably goes in that hole that we see yes. there, so. well there's a threaded hole that looks like a pin would go in it but who knows what the finished design looks like so yeah it's, uh, for now, it's, we have just kind of a concept model. So yeah, information uh, is we just don't know quite enough about it yet. That a hole yeah. too. Another thing the hole could be for is if you wanted to, because you know, there's we run 120 uh, degrees on our servos. Some people do 135 or 140, depending on how the helicopter is built. Maybe a, maybe they have it. The swash is able to run a different servo layout. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, that could be. I want to get back to those sort of red anodized pieces on the head. Yeah. Unfortunately, this is one of those moments where I strained and strained to hear, you know, the voice of the gentleman speaking in the booth, and I, I couldn't quite hear it, but I caught pieces of it. Uh, I think the thrust bearings are housed in those red pieces, and there was definitely something about less load on the thrust bearings or, you know, only applying load in, in proper directions. Uh, it, there was a benefit to the, to the rest of the rotor head design. I just didn't quite, I wasn't quite able to catch it. So mm. um, stay tuned for more info on that. But certainly, you know, a very interesting rotor head design. You know, the proof will be in the pudding. Obviously, does it fly better or is it just an interesting design concept? Uh, who knows? But it looks, it looks really low profile too. Like it would be nice and low to the body. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, the one that they have in here definitely looks like at least from what I can see as of right now, like an F3C styled kind of head where it would be more targeted at this moment towards that, but very easy to integrate it over for sure. Yeah. To me, it looks like that 
just from because we can only really see it from the side, but it looks like the distance from the head block towards us in the picture to that ball where the arm is, where the link is at, isn't very far. So if we're, you know, you talk about like interactions and what kind of speed or range you get from the swash up to those grip arms, you know, all our 3D helis, those, those arms are pretty far out comparatively, right? Yes. The ball from the head. This one looks nice and tight, which would lead me to think that it's what it's built for is right. F3C and FAI and all that shit. So. Yeah. I'm, I'm still trying to wrap my head around it a little bit because those i know you said nick something around the th the thrust bearings for those an red anodized but the yeah. thrust bearings on the helis are usually are usually in the grip side of the helicopter at the end yeah and all right so I, it may not have been sorry specifically but i'm wondering bearings. if it's i'm it wondering if it's about damp bearings. dampener loading or something like the genesis like they do with the genesis where you can where you can yeah, theoretically squeeze the dampeners to make them softer or harder according to how you're doing something along those lines yeah it was something to do with bearings i definitely caught those buzzwords um yeah i don't Dude, know we're gonna we don't know the shit out of this there. until we figure Clearly it out we would love yeah, to learn what's exactly. going on there so you know miniature aircraft team folks reach out set us straight give us the read details here but uh yeah tell us we're completely is, wrong <laughs> Oh, we're totally wrong. I, I can tell you yeah. we are right now because we're basing this off of Facebook photos and a really interviews, you know, filmed in a really loud room. Um, no, of course. So somebody holding up something and pointing at it with English as their second language while everyone's yelling and talking around them, you know, so. <laughs> no, yeah, that for sure. We want to know what we, if we got anything right, if we're close or if we just, you know, 15 yeah. minutes I mean, of us blowing up our heads <laughs> yeah i mean that's that, why i put the big purpose on the new segment tonight because i was like yeah. i know i'm gonna get a bunch of shit wrong yeah no it's very cool though definitely another big design change from another company for sure yeah you know i gotta say miniature aircraft is one of those brands that i wondered about you know will they continue to innovate will they stay in the hobby um, so I'm excited to see that they have a whole new line of helicopters oh, for coming out. Def 100% miniature aircraft. If you ever get the chance to talk to the owners, they are probably not. I, I get along with them so well. They are some of the nicest people in the hobby you will ever come across. They are so nice, so genuine, and you can sit there and just talk, have a conversation with them all day awesome people over there at miniature aircraft that's cool yeah you were definitely not the first person to tell me that so they must truly be awesome people all right one last uh more piece of news from rotor live before we hit a couple of other big non-rotor live uh bits of news but lastly from rotor live uh i wouldn't be doing my uh my job if i didn't tell you that the hotly contested 3d flying competition was won by fellow ego drift teammate and xl power sponsored pilot con panoy Flying an XL Power Spectre V2. So, perhaps a preview of what we might see at the upcoming Dubai Masters this weekend. Uh, as you're listening to this episode, probably on Friday, um, you know, keep an eye on, on this coming weekend uh, for flight videos coming out of Dubai at the, uh, the Masters competition uh, where the world's best uh, will come to compete. I also heard a rumor, this is a little bit unconfirmed, that Khan may have won it on a borrowed heli. I don't know. I've seen photos of like five partially dismantled helicopters on the ground and like the entire XL power team trying to build a working helicopter out of it. I'm not really sure what was going on. 
Uh, I think we call this maneuver pulling a Jamie Robertson. But uh, either way, I just want to say a huge congrats to Cod Pinoy. Uh, well done. I, uh, I haven't found a good flight video of it yet. So if somebody has one, shoot it to us. I definitely uh, I want to see the winning flights. Yeah, for sure. That's cool. Just, just put it together right at the last minute and go for it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Did but, you see uh, the video on Facebook of um, Con, Ra, Nick, and a couple other people all working on Con's heli? Yeah, that's what I saw. There was like yeah. a muddle around this thing. Oh, yeah. They were going <laughs> hardcore on the heli. That awesome. It definitely looked Again. like they were making a Franken-heli. It was like, all right, I need a working tail from this one. I need a head from this thing. <laughs> oh, yeah. Who's going to make year? <laughs> Congrats to Khan uh, again. Yeah, it's awesome. I mean, it seemed like the XL team, which is stacked over there, was uh, was also had a lot of awesome camaraderie, which is always fun to see as well as they, you know, teamed up to keep Khan in the air there. That's awesome. Yeah, for sure. All right. It was quickly evident at this point that we're throwing the main topic out tonight. We're just going to make this the Rotor Live news episode. So the big, big news show, because uh, at this point we're coming up on a couple of hours here. But uh, we're going to close it out with two big news hits. So, uh, and again, these are outside of Rotor Live, but the first one is from Mikado USA. The V-Control Evo Radio has FCC license approval for the United States as of 3-11 of this year. March 11th, they were granted FCC approval. Yay! Right. So... Uh, that means the transmitters are now legal to ship to United States customers. So uh, Brian Barrow put a post out of Mikado USA announcing this fact, which is awesome. So the V-Bar Evo fly wireless unit, however, has not received its approval, but quite possibly by the time you're listening to this episode, it will have. They expect to receive the Evo approval by March 15th. Um, this episode will probably come out, you know, a day or two after that. So hopefully by the time you're hearing this, the fly wireless is also approved. Uh, Mikado USA goes on to say that, quote, things are coming together as expected for full global release this month, as promised since January 1st. They'll update us on the V-Bar Evo grant status upon confirmation as well as their final uh, determination on import logistics and supply availability, meaning They'll tell us when stock will hit the United States and when it will actually start to ship. So uh, what I took away from that is that uh, the stock is not in the United States yet of the transmitters or the fly bar list is yet, but uh, they're going to let us know shortly when, uh, or in the near future, I should say, uh, as to when that'll happen. But FCC approval is in motion. Transmitters approved. The fly bar list is expected to be approved very soon. Apparently the flight trainer system their Logo 200 base system is uh, delayed until the Evo is certified. The V-Bar Evo, sorry, is certified with the V-Control Evo. Once that happens, uh, they're hoping for approval of the trainer system uh, in April. So, like I said, stock's not in the United States yet, but FCC approvals are rolling and should button up this week. So those of us who pre-ordered should start to see things very, very soon. So stay patient. Don't harass Brian with tons of emails asking when you're going to get your stuff. Just be patient. Know it's coming. Know things are progressing just like they said they would. And uh, with any luck, by the end of the month or early April, we'll all have our goodies in our hands. You guys are going to love it. 
Yeah. Mr. Two yeah. Flights. What are you sponsored by Mikado? Nope. <laughs> no, it's great. Johnny I mean, even updating everything went super smooth. Uh, putting Pro on it, super easy. It, just as it was for the old Neos and updating the radio. Of course, super simple. Plug it in, up, let it update. It went all super smoothly and as expected. So I am excited. Undoubtedly, it'll arrive when I have like four weeks of work travel in a row, and I'll be like, damn you! Oh, <laughs> it'll just sit on the bench and stare at you, weeping like, when are you going to play oh, with me? I know. I know. I got to say, I'm really excited that I got the Logo 700 back in the air, because I, I literally have not even opened the outer box of my Raw 700 Nitro, because like you got to get this damn logo back in the air before you're allowed to open that box. So <laughs> yeah, first things first, Mister. Yep. Now it's time yeah. for the nitro. Yeah, I'm gonna I gotta start figuring out when I'm gonna start building that. Um, yeah, hopefully in the sure. very very near future. But I yep. can't build it until after we do the nitro build episode because I got about ten thousand questions, and clearly that's not happening this week. But uh, hopefully next week, uh, if all goes well. Get that going. Of course. Maybe it means Dan will join us for that episode, which is what we've all been hoping for. So we'll see. That would be awesome. It would be. I have saved, I don't know if it's the best news, but it's certainly great news uh, for last. So we're going to call this the news of the week. And it's a big week with Rotor Live. And this goes to Spirit. So Spirit, her best known for their, you know, very good flying uh, fly barless units that integrate great with Jetty and some other transmitters as well have just announced that they will be releasing their own radio. It's going to be called the Spirit Wave, and it will feature extremely tight integration with their flybarless units. It'll have CNC gimbals and plenty more new features yet to be named. So at this point, it's just a teaser post, text only, no photos. Uh, but they claim that the integration with their flyless will be, quote, on a very different level than what is available now, which to me reads as, Way better than it is with Jetty right now uh, and yeah. other transmitters as well. I think this is going to mimic is the wrong word, but be a similar level of integration as we're seeing with the V-Control uh, transmitters and their fly barless units. So, you know, that level, complete tuning, complete setup, start to finish. And I'm guessing based on, you know, just a hype post that they released. But that certainly seems to be what they're implying. I look forward to... You know, hearing a lot more about it. Um, I know I have some friends who fly Spirit and have been certainly very happy with it. Uh, I just, man, I could just get excited when more manufacturers take on things that I see as you know the strong points of the hobby, which for me is all about integration. So seeing more people create more platforms that offer more options at different price points, uh, you know, I just think it's great. So super excited to hear about the Spirit Wave Radio. Uh, good for them for bringing that to market. And, you know, the more manufacturers that drive innovation like this, you know, the more new features will uh, become available for all of us. So good on your spirit. Yeah, I'm liking those CNC gimbals too. Those got to feel nice. All right. With that, 90 minutes later or whatever, <laughs> that's all I got for the news. Holy shit. news 
that was i'm glad i brought y'all in right away because i was like i can't read all this by myself and talk about this by myself for two hours (laughs) dude that was like the sunday paper worth of news it was all pretty easy until we got to the head of her miniature aircraft that one was pretty hard to explain and describe without (laughs) putting a picture on You know, it's funny, as, as I listen to RCHN 2.0, or as I went through listening to all those episodes, I don't know, every, when they would reach a big milestone, five years or a hundred episodes or something, they would do these sort of highlight reels, where they make fun of themselves and play the goofiest episodes, and I'm pretty sure us trying to explain this damn rotor head is going to make that highlight reel. There's going to be some yeah. goofy-ass music behind it, and we're going to laugh at ourselves. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. The cookie. It's the cookie. Uh, you know, I, I thought Rob was going to start off with, all right, so you know how this basic swash looks like a Dorito? <laughs> <laughs> At least it wasn't. So there's five guys in a cracker. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> They're all in a circle. <laughs> and at the, whole, at the end, there's a hole in the middle. Yeah, you got three cyclic guys. Anyway, um, and then you got the alignment pin. Um on that note, <laughs> I think that's uh, that's about going to wrap it up uh, for this episode. Uh, uh, again, we hope Dan will be joining us soon. We'll keep you posted as we hear more. I know he is more than ready to come back to uh, uh, to us and, and and normal life again. But uh, he's fighting his way through. Um, keep him in your thoughts. He's certainly uh, not going anywhere. Um, with that, uh, if you want to get a hold of Scott. You can try and hit him up on Facebook or via his uh, RCHN email. He's a little bit in the weeds right now, so maybe hit up one of us instead. Uh, you can hit me at Nick Wisdom at RCHN V3. You can catch Dan, hit his waiting list of email. I'm not, I don't even know if he started waiting through the pile yet at Dan at RCHN V3.com. Uh, what about you, Devin? If someone wanted to get a hold of you, <laughs> I'm just going to leave that in. If someone wanted to get a ha ha of you, how would they If they wanted to touch me, if they wanted to get in contact with me, Devin McClellan on Facebook or Devin at RCHNV3.com. All right. With that, Rob, someone wants to hit you up. How would they do so? Nicolomilibilio. The way that you would accomplish that goal, hopefully it would accomplish maybe two goals. I don't know. Um, but what you want to do is you want to go to Georgia and then over to the Atlanta RC um, flying field and then take apart all of those tents and, um, I don't know, tear them apart, however you got to do it, and then lay the pieces out in the shape of the message that you want to give me and then the next time that Nick goes to fly there, he'll see the tents are gone, but there's something on the ground. And, and then when he goes to figure it out, he'll understand that it's a question for me. And then he'll tell me what that question is. Um, and then the tents won't be there anymore. Um, but if you don't want to do that, um, because the hippies from the woods scare you, um, or you uh, don't own a knife and you can't, you don't want to take the tents apart, um, you could just email me at rob at rchnv3.com. Uh, hit me up on Facebook at nextgenrcfb, uh, youtube.com or nextgen at, uh, or Instagram at nextgenrc, and then youtube.com slash nextgenrc. 
All right, right on. Yeah. You know, that just reminded me of something that happened today at, at Atlanta RC. That might be one of my favorite uh, email you stories, Rob, because it, it <laughs> yeah. featured people taking the tents down and getting rid of them. Um, yeah. But somebody put a drone up while I was at Atlanta RC today. And I don't know if it was the police, because they do pretty regular surveys via drone, or one of the protesters. But there's this drone once I was flying that launched on the on the kind of the tree line of the field. <laughs> And so I just took the logo uh-huh. and I was like, oh, really? Uh, so I just put it up in a hover about 20 feet away, pointed the nose right at the drone and the drone stared at me and presumably the logo stared at the drone. I was like, oh, I wonder what the guy on the other end of the camera is thinking right now. <laughs> and then the Mexican drone broke off in the air. went over oh. the woods and, and I went back to flying. But um, I'm See, hoping you somebody won. was See? under the hood going like, what the hell? That's it. See, you won. That's the thing. You're like, this is our territory. Get out of here. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. What the hell? What the hell? What the hell? <laughs> All right. With that, this has been episode 30, the big ass news show. Thanks for listening. Thanks for uh, all your support. Check us out on Facebook at uh, RC Heli Nation. Find us on Locals if you so desire and support us there. But uh, just thanks for listening, man. And uh, we'll talk to you all soon. See ya. Rob, take us out. Got a big pile of news on the RCHN. Gotta listen in my car when I'm in traffic and I don't know what else to do. Got two hours of news for you. Nice. That was pretty good. I actually like that. That was was kind of rippy. Yeah.